Dr. Hunter Champion is in the house. It is, uh, of course, an encore performance with Hunter because he always has something great to share. And when it comes to the main beat of our chest, we're going to break it down for you. There's so much more information coming up next on the Bob Jeswald Show. Personal power. People positive. The community of connection. This is the Bob Jeswald Show. Welcome, everybody. It's just good to see you. Dr. Champion is in the house. Good to see you today. Great to see you. Thanks for having me. I want to introduce a Kaylee Barbie. She is my master's intern in Mississippi State working on meteorology. She could have been uh, you could have been a doctor like you, but she, she was interested to see what we're doing tonight. I kind of coaxed her to come in here. She said, I'm only going to speak when I have something good to say. I said, it's smart. Never pass an opportunity to keep your mouth shut. That's what, that's what a good friend <laughs> yeah. of mine told me in right? Las Vegas. Her name's Sharon Crystal. I'll give her a plug. But um, So remember that. <laughs> I need to remember that. But gosh darn it, I'm the host, so I get to talk today, right? I get to lead the way. Uh, we're talking about so much over the course of the Bob Jeswell Show over a year now. Uh, Dr. Champion, you've been on here doing great stuff with Joanne. Joanne couldn't be here. Uh, this episode, she had a, uh, she had some engagement she had to do, and she sends her well wishes to you. She wanted to be here. But congestive heart failure, uh, fluid overload, let's start out with that. What is that? Because this is something that's been top of mind, especially mm-hmm. during what, what's going on here. Well, that plus also as we start getting closer to Thanksgiving and Christmas, we get a lot more salty foods and things like that. I pretty much say anything sure. that shows up in Pyrex likely has too much salt in it. So we see a lot of mm-hmm. new admissions for fluid overload. Um, the term congestive heart failure, I really don't like very much. It's, okay. One, it's scary. Um, but uh, but just as it, as, it, as it stands by itself, it implies that everything is related to the heart. Whereas fluid overload really is related to just an overall excess of, of body f- volume. And what we see a lot of times is people come in with certain signs and symptoms of fluid, excess fluid. Um, yes, the government makes us call it heart failure, at least in terms of coding and things yeah. like that. But but I really prefer fluid overload simply because it may be kidney related. It may be heart related. It may be lung related. There are a lot of potential causes that, that may, be, may be causing. It may not just be weakness of the heart. Okay, so like you think certain diuretics might be something that might... Be a, maybe a treatment or something like that. Absolutely. So the symptoms we have, we could treat it that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, then fluid restriction would be one thing, but that, the thing that's kind of perplexing about that, so don't drink a lot of water? So, you know, we get told all the time. That so I drink a lot of water. Exactly. My, uh, yeah. Well, and you can handle that. But but what happens is, is, you know, we have Dr. Oz and Ellen and Oprah telling all of us that we're all fluid, we're, we're all dehydrated and we've got to drink as much as we can. Well, that doesn't really apply to everyone. And so, oh, okay. but what happens is with fluid overload, it creates a set of, set of symptoms that we have. And so, so simple, you know, usual symptoms of fluid overload are things like having a hard time laying back to go to sleep. Like if someone tells me they've been sleeping in a chair or a recliner, that's kind of a dead giveaway. Interesting. Um, waking up short of breath at night, uh, feeling chest heaviness or a shortness of breath or palpitations when they first lay back to go to sleep, um, coughing more at nighttime because the fluid in the lungs makes you cough more. Um, uh, dry mouth. And this is really where it gets interesting. Well, one of the places where also too, my patients really, where they, they're kind of like, wait, this guy really knows what he's talking about is when I say, have you been getting full quickly when you eat? And you wonder why you're not losing weight. In fact, you're probably gaining weight, um, even though you're not eating as much. And that's from the bowel edema. So when you can, when you have excess fluid in the, in the abdomen, you're not absorbing anything like you should. And so you get full quickly. And so because of that, because that then leg swelling, obviously is kind of a usual one, but a lot of people don't swell in their feet. They swell in their abdomen. That, that's interesting. So 
you, you mentioned sodium restriction, mm-hmm. so that would be part of things that you want mm-hmm. to restrict. Mm-hmm. But going back to the fluid overloading a lot, and when you sleep, that happens to me. And I always think of it as aspirating, mm-hmm. but not necessarily. It right. could be that feeling like you're cho- like I'm out of breath, I'm choking. Correct. And that, and that we, we call that paroxysms of nocturnal dyspnea. So it's kind of waking up short of breath. Now, that could also be sometimes you can wake up coughing or things like that from gastric reflux. Okay. Um, that happens also, often, exactly. yes. Exactly. You can also have that as well from sleep apnea that's not, not treated appropriately or untreated. Um, but one of the places, getting back to the fluid portion of it and the fluid restriction, yeah. is the body. This is one of the few places where the body gets it wrong. So even though you're the least dehydrated person in Muskogee County, maybe, right. you've got 20 to 30 pounds of fluid on you. I've got 55 pounds off of one person in the last two weeks. Sure. Um, but your body makes you think that you're dehydrated. So your body makes your mouth dry. It increases your salt appetite at the brain level. It, uh, it also makes you constipated. So your body, even though you are not dehydrated at all. In fact, you're fluid overloaded. Your body makes you feel like you're dehydrated. So if you don't know these signs and symptoms of fluid excess, you may say, oh, my mouth is dry. I need to drink more. That's, I'm stunned. I'm looking at Kaylee here. You, could you relate to this, right? Can I relate to this fluid overload? This? Yes. I mean, do you have this ever happened to you? You know what I'm talking about? No. You're not old enough yet. That's not why. Not yet. <laughs> now, is this an age thing then? I'm, I'm just using it. This is a terrible test. But is it because she's not experiencing it much? Is this something that happens with an age thing or not? Correct. In, in general, it tends, you tend to see more of it as we get older. But there are young people that can have cardiomyopathy or weakness mm-hmm. of the heart. You can have certain congenital valve issues that for which fluid overload shows up as the, as the, the reason why you're actually being presented to a physician to, to then look for the underlying cause. And that I, type of thing. I would think, okay, and before I get an exercise, because I always think, you know, I know I gotta, I, I'm going to run mm-hmm. or I got a race coming mm-hmm. up. And, and I say this to my daughter as a cross-country runner, too, that, hey, make sure you hydrate. You know, we do these power aids. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they got ones that are less sugar. So I'm like anti-sugar. I, it would make sense. Absolutely. Do stuff with less sugar. You're, you're probably better. These electrolytes. But if you know you're going to blow your body out to the, to the max the next day and you're leading up to it, it's probably good days to do a little fluid overload in that situation or we, are we teetering on something that could be Well, in, in, in general, I think for most people that don't have a fluid issue, they're able to handle that fluid. I mean, you could probably drink a gallon of Gatorade and even though it's got a lot of sodium in it and your body can handle it. Gotcha. But okay. if you have a situation in which either maybe you have some kidney issues or what we see a lot of is either weakness of the heart muscle or stiffness of the heart muscle, the stiffness of the heart muscle really is age-related. So that's something that we see gets more prevalent as we get older uh, sure. and that type of thing. So that stiffness makes you more prone to retaining fluid. So it really all boils down to balance. Now, certainly, you know, I tell my patients, we, were gonna re- we want to recommend that you restrict your total fluid intake to X amount of ounces. Mm-hmm. But if you're out exercising and sweating more, you're working in the yard, you may need to liberalize that a little bit. Yeah. You know, I generally recommend not using Gatorade. You know, get your sodium someplace else. Um, okay. Why is it? Why is it? Uh, well, just because it's just a, it's kind of a cheap way of getting sodium. Okay. And and why not? If you're going to have sodium, why not enjoy it? You know, if you, ah, if, you know, okay. ha, 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 have have <laughs> it, it in the sense. food. And it's also yeah, and the, big, the big thing with sodium too is it's not really the flu, it's not as much the salt shaker that's as big of a problem. It's actually the the salt that's already in the food itself. Especially if it's processed or if it's frozen. I Mm -hmm. I see that a lot. You know, it's like 850 milligrams in one little meal sitting, which isn't good. Before, and I want to talk, sodium and water, how much should we be uh, getting a day? You know, when they say you should drink 
so much of your body weight. Right. Is it BS or is it? Or well, is it, you know, and again, you know, we see we see a lot of young people walking around. I've got some some uh, some big some old staff, yes, the yes, gallon jugs sanity, and things like yes, that. Yeah. Which which you know, at, at the end of the day, if you if you don't have a fluid problem, your body can handle it. Um, you probably you know, with a, with as much urination as you're having from a lot of fluid, you may lose magnesium and potassium and that type of thing. Um, but uh, but you know, as, like if you're younger, then it's not a problem. Um, in general, with our with our fluid overload patients or heart failure patients, we generally recommend that they drink no more than about 64 ounces of total fluid in a day. Okay, so that's, and that's okay, all so fluid. Okay, and I, I tell them I don't care what they drink. They so can drink vodka for all I care. If she's Kaylee, and not ask a young lady her weight, but she's she's tall, she's thin. I can't imagine you being no more than 120 pounds. Let's say, I'm guessing not even a little higher, 130, because you're tall. I mean, she's taller, but she's very thin. And you're a very I, brave man. Bob. I know. Yeah, I know. Like only because she's working underneath me right now as an intern, <laughs> so she knows she's going to get good grades. Gotcha. <laughs> her face is telling it all. Could you, are you seeing it there? Yeah, you see it right there yeah. at wrbl.com because we're streaming live. But if you're listening to this on Spotify, iHeart, or you know Apple, wherever you get your podcast, you're not going to see your face. But let's take it. <laughs> take a look at her again. But but you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Between her and I, mm-hmm. we both drink 64 ounces. Yeah. Fine. Yep. So it does that's interesting? Is it is it the elimination it has nothing to do with your weight size then. So we're well, going to eliminate the same way, I y- guess. Y- yep. I mean, you know, the, the body is actually incredibly smart. And so okay. it's very good about being able to try to try to ke- keep balance. And okay. so it's really when you get imbalanced, when you start having these symptoms and these problems. So, you know, if you were Kaylee drank 96 ounces a day, you both would probably be able to handle it pretty well. Now, again, if we start moving up in age and we start having more stiffness or more other or have other reasons to retain fluid, we may notice that if you did that for a week or two, you might put on four or five pounds. You know, we we see this often. Football season's coming up, right? Sure. So, so tailgating. So, you know, a lot of my patients will go out and blow out the tailgate and, yeah. you know, and, and everything, and they may gain five pounds on Sunday. Right, and so that's so why I tell him. I said, "Look, I want you to keep the life in living." You know, we've talked about that a lot of times. Yes, you know, all the let's time. Keep, let's yeah. keep the life in living. Um, but at, but at the same time, you know, if you if you if you do that, then you're just going to have to make it up down the road. And so we have patients watch their weight every day. Mm-hmm. If you pick up more than three or four pounds in a day or or, or a week or two, mm-hmm. that really can only be fluid. Muscle and fat really don't behave like that. Makes sense. If I'm on dialysis, for example, mm-hmm. somebody listening, well, obviously your kidneys need a little helping hand from a mm-hmm. machine. So why would you add any more? Uh, fluids like that. When you said about the the uh, bowels and, and I'm thinking of urination and mm-hmm. stuff like that, I, I gotta you know I drink. I always say drink until the pee's clear. Is that mm-hmm. so? That's kind of. Is that a good thing or not a good thing? Or I think it's, it? a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a, certainly a good thing. It's okay. uh, in fact, there was a football coach in, in one of the I think in one of the Big Twelve conferences that, that rated his his uh, players' uh, mm-hmm. devotion to their team based on the color of their urine. And, yeah, and okay, anything any, anything less than clear, you're a, you're a lousy <laughs> teammate. So <laughs> not working hard enough. For, a, a, exactly. I don't know what the heck you're taking, right. but because well, unless you're taking. B complex vitamins, which right. you can you pee them out anyway. Right. So if you have too much of them, so that so the bowel part of it, mm-hmm. how does too much fluid overload decrease bowel production or just be constipated? So so what's interesting is again the, the body kind of goes into a mode where it's even though it's not dehydrated, it feels like it's dehydrated. So it's trying to actually retain fluid. Just so going back to the salt taste, I need salt, but you really correct. Don't. You need salt, dry mouth, but then with the constipation side, remember the colon is the site of fluid reabsorption. So okay. when your when your when your stool comes down the small bowel, it's very it's actually quite liquidy, and then when it goes to the, to the colon, that's when you start reabsorbing fluid as you need. And so the body's pretty smart in that way, but it starts, it starts absorbing a lot. And so that's when we start talking about patients to, you know, really try to try to, and, and the good news though is, is if it all gets out of whack, then if we do the things like fluid restriction, sodium restriction, diuretics, 
mm-hmm. following your labs very closely, that type of thing. When we get you back to homeostasis, we get you back to your baseline, then that salt appetite goes gets better. The dry mouth goes away. The constipation gets better. And so you're kind of back to where you need to be. And then at that point, I really impress upon my patients the importance of being able to find those triggers. And really a big trigger for them is the weight. You know, because if, you know, a lot of times it's really important that you weigh every day if you've got this issue. And yeah. if you go, in fact, actually we have um, remote patient monitoring between us and other groups where they get a scale, it gets logged into their phone, it, they sit, get on the scale, it comes to our office every day. If they gain more than three or four pounds in a week, we're on the phone with them, hey, what's going on? We even have implantable devices that let us know if the fluid pressure goes up. I'll be. And that wow. trial. That's Co- crazy. It's like I'm a meteorologist. Mm-hmm. I think of hydrology and rivers. Yeah. You, you get that, you could tell, right? Mm-hmm. And Kaylee's learning about this now. You know, right. you start seeing those levels coming up. We mm-hmm. get, a, get an alert and exactly. tell you, hey, there could be a flood watch going on here. We're watching for the potential of something imminent happening. Like exactly. something that could happen to the chest pain or something it could lead to that and then somebody think right. what the heck well and, the, and kind of the, the the analogy that i use with patients especially when they're in patients is i kind of say you know your body is, a, is like a cup okay and when your spot when your water level when your fluid level fills up and it starts overflowing that's when you end up in the hospital okay. now what happens with a lot what happens in a lot of places and a lot of hospitals is they cu- get you in they give you one or two doses of diuretics you lose two or three pounds they say oh do you feel better say yeah i feel better okay go home well, oh, now okay. they're now they're now they're 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 delta for being in versus out of the hospital is only two or three pounds. OK, what we try to do with our group is we try to get you all the way down, get you dry. So now you have a 10 or you know maybe a five or 10 pound sure. delta. And so then it's easier to pick that up. Whereas if it's only two pounds, I mean, that's one Chick-fil-A meal or one Chinese restaurant meal. And you're back. In, well, and actually, that's the reason why the readmission rate for heart failure or fluid overload is about 25 percent at one month. And it's about 15% in two weeks. So people who were in the hospital for that exact same thing are coming back into the hospital. Great research. And what a way to uh, really get to the point of what maybe this could help uh, hospitals not Mm -hmm. be so over, speaking about overload, fluid overload, patient overload, when you can uh, certainly treat it differently and not get that patient to keep coming back. We we want patient retention going to a doctor on an annual basis to be checked, but not, not under these conditions. And I want to point out to people who have not listened to any other post episodes or past episodes, excuse me too, is that Dr. Hunter Champion is a cardiologist and has written many, many papers. So he's, he prides himself on a lot of this and especially broken heart syndrome and much more that you've been involved in, in the past with uh, other colleagues of yours. So um, this kind of research is, is, to me, profound. Absolutely. And one thing that we've actually developed because it has such a high readmission rate, and remember, you know, people say, well, readmissions, what is, what, what's the problem with that? Well, it's, it's not uncommon for us to have some pa- have a patient that gets admitted for one thing, but then they end up getting something else and that may be fatal or they end up getting, you know, they may come in, they sure. may get a hospital acquired pneumonia or things like that. So we actually have a specialized clinic at Southeastern Cardiology where we have our heart failure, our cardiomyopathy and heart failure patients come in. Um, this has been going on now for a year. Um, we've, uh, we've got, I think we've got a 98% uh, 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 lack of hospitaliz- rehospitalization sure. um, and have had just really good success. And part of that is the education, really sitting down with patients, showing them how to look at sodium levels or sodium, uh, you know, look at the la- nutrition labels, yeah. how to measure fluid, uh, good alternatives, you know, saying, hey, you like this, mm-hmm. well, how, how about try this instead? 
Before we go to bed, should we be drinking water? When we stop drinking water or fluids, any kind of fluids? I know uh, I'll talk about a beer or a glass of wine. Because right. I, I used to be able to do that, but I wake up very dehydrated. If I have a glass of wine, I used to drink. This is true. I used to have a glass of wine because, mm-hmm. you know, back in the day, it was good for the heart, good for the sure. blood. It thins it out or whatever. And I love red wine. Right. Back in the, now it makes me congested. I don't know why. It's not congestive heart failure, congestive nasal sure. passages, and, which is just as annoying. Right. But you, you wake up in the morning and you're just dry and you feel tired. What's the best time to stop drinking? Well, you know, it, it kind of all depends on on, on on a lot of factors. One might be your prostate. One might be your bladder size sure. and things and like I have that. that. And, yes. and, yeah. uh, and so that's one of those kind of things where, you know, sometimes people say, well, I prefer not to get up five times at night to go to the bathroom. Maybe I'll stop drinking a little sooner in the, in the, in the, <laughs> in the evening and then and kind of let that uh, let that take take place. Um you know, there'd be a whole other discussion about bladders no, yeah. and, and prostate no, and that, that kind of thing. But that makes sense. No, that makes good sense. So if there is any treatments for somebody that is chronic, mm-hmm. they have this problem all the time. What do we do? So so I think the key thing here is, you know, you've got you've got someone that shows up with, with fluid overload. Okay. The first step for me is I tell them all the time, I said, look, I can do any test on you, but it's really not going to help me. Right now, you're kind of like a flooded basement. When the river rises and it floods the basement, you've got to wait for the water to come down before you really know what you're dealing with. Okay. And so so what what kind of my usual thing is if I see somebody that's 5, 10, 15 pounds fluid overloaded, and we see people from Savannah all the way to Montgomery down to the, to the panhandle of Florida, they'll come in. I'll say, okay, we're putting together a plan. Let's work on diuretics first. When you urinate the way we need you to urinate, you're going to lose magnesium and potassium, so we give you two vitamin supplements for those. Okay. We then have them get labs for us a week later at home, so that way we can make sure their kidney function's good and their, their electrolytes are good. And then we work to slowly but surely, and slow and steady wins the race. We try to get that fluid off of them over a three- to six-week time period. Then we see them back. We look at their jugular vein to see what their fluid mm-hmm. level is. And then, uh, and then at that point, we can now say, okay, we feel good about where you are. Now let's figure out what actually caused this. And so it could be, you know, echocardiogram to look to see if the heart has any weakness or stiffness. Mm-hmm. It lets us see if there's any val- if there are any valve issues. There's a condition that we've talked about before called pulmonary hypertension, yes, which is high blood that. pressure in the mm-hmm. lungs that can cause fluid restri- fluid retention. Um, is it a blockage? You know, should we do a stress test to look to see is do you have coronary ischemia that's causing you to retain fluid? Uh, and so those are the kind of things that we do. We start looking to see where there may be an issue uh, with us in terms of uh, being able to then stave it off. In a lot of cases, it ends up not being anything other than that stiffness of the heart. And in those cases, we say, okay, you know, your new lifestyle is going to be watch your salt, watch your fluid, weigh every day. Definitely let me know. And I tell patients all the time, I said, look, you know, if I ever give you a cussing out, it's, it's because, one, you need it. Yeah. And, and two, it's because I care. You know, if I didn't care, I just wouldn't talk to you. You sound so, like a parent. Exactly. <laughs> well, in a lot of ways, we kind yeah, of we are. are. Yeah. And so, um, so we, uh, so, you know, I'd say, you know, we do this and it's much easier for my nurse practitioner, PA, Kyle, Jamie, myself, to be able to handle this fluid if it's four or five or six pounds. If you wait until it's 20 pounds, you know, it's too late. It, yeah. it, it may, it it'll be, be it'll be very, very difficult. We may have to put you in the hospital yeah. and that type of thing. So, um, so yeah, then it just becomes more of a chronic maintenance type of thing. Um, as I said before, I want to try mm-hmm. to keep the life and living. The good news is it's easier to keep the fluid off than it is to get it off. Okay. It may, that would make sense. Mm-hmm. Right. You, you, you made a reference to the jugular vein that, mm-hmm. that was it just tongue in cheek or you no. seriously. So yep. the, what does that do? Sticks out more so, protrudes. Is that a good thing there? So the, the jugular vein starts, uh, st- starts as the superior vein cava at the heart it goes up under the collarbone then it comes out and goes into the into the head at the ear and that internal jugular vein so a lot of us have if we turn you we can see our external jugular vein yeah. or if you get mad that but that's not the same thing coming out on the side um, but what we do is we look at that that's really a, like a fuel gauge for me okay if it's above the collarbone then likely they've got too much fluid 
Then what I'll oftentimes do is I'll press on their liver to see if the fluid goes up, the fluid level goes up I'll or be down. Oh, darn, that's crazy. The liver's the first organ. I'm pressing my liver. Exactly. Down, okay. The uh, the liver's the first organ that feels that fluid mm-hmm. stress, so it will actually swell in response. So if we if we press on the liver and it goes up, that lets us know that the liver is is in, is, uh, is congested. Okay. Um, and that will go down with diuresis and, and getting yeah. the fluid off of you. Wow. So healthy and, people get get this. Yeah. Is it by way of their own volition because they're just over over hydrating, if if you will, or or is it poor diet, or do you think it's a sign that maybe they have something? Could this be mm-hmm. someone you may say, God, yeah. go see your doc, go see yeah. your cardiologist, because you know this isn't a good thing. It, it has to start with an underlying issue. Okay, you know, so I'm, and that, I know you that, keep repeating. That, I just want people yeah, to know no, no, to listen. Absolutely, going to be a- that diastolic dysfunction, as we call it, or that stiffness of the heart. That's probably the most common cause that we okay. see in patients who otherwise don't have blockage or weakness of the heart or things like okay. that. But um, but you know, it usually happens so slowly. So kind of the I generally kind of consider it to be a very very slow process, and you don't realize it because right, you're getting short of breath. Well, I'm getting older. Yeah. You're getting more short of breath. Well, you know, I'm 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 not exercising like I should. You know. And then it's and then it's not until it actually get, reaches this inflection point where it shoots up where you're, now you're like no this is wrong so, you know I'm not getting able to get my mail without stopping twice okay that's correct yeah that Things would be like a good that. now that those are good uh, factors mm-hmm. and the risk factors are talking about you know your chest pain is one mm-hmm. your history you're talking about uh, it just. Doing physical things as simple as going to the mailbox or maybe pushing a lawnmower and you got to keep stopping, not when Absolutely. it's 100 degrees humidity. Of course, that could that would be anybody. Sure. But use some common sense here and get a workup if right. you can. There's an ECG. What what would the ECG initial so, workshop so, be? So what's interesting with fluid overload is when you when you fill up with fluid, it stretches the top chambers of the heart. And so for people who have atrial fibrillation or, a pro, mm. or who are prone to atrial fibrillation, that excess fluid can make you go into atrial fibrillation. Well, atrial fibrillation, if you go into it, can make you retain fluid. So That's, sometimes we don't well, know what the chicken and sure. the egg is, mm-hmm. but it's not uncommon for us to see people who maybe have not had trou- trouble with any arrhythmia for years, and now they come in, they're like, oh, my goodness, you know, I'm tacking away at 140. I feel terrible. We look at their neck vein. It's up. And so at that, at that process, you know, at that time, we say, okay, let's work on two things. We're going to work on getting the heart rate under control. Then we're going to work on getting the fluid off of you. And then we're going to kind of see where we end up. Smart. So you start from the top and you're going to work yourself bottom. Mm-hmm. Um, this is something that anybody who maybe has AFib or has mm-hmm. gotten it, you know, maybe it was brought on by, you know, AFib seems like you hear more of it. And I, I think of it somewhat like we know there's more tornadoes now mm-hmm. because the technology has changed. Mm-hmm. Doppler radar is so much advanced uh, the level two data could come in stream you know in seconds to get the information get velocity scans know what direction is coming towards the site in a way it's given us sometimes so much information is this why maybe we're hearing so much about like afib and all these other things now it seems technology is getting better absolutely so more people are hearing more about it would that be fair to say yeah you know uh, certainly like the apple watch has been a big thing the cardia device has been a big thing for us and you know you know afib is 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 the most common irregular heart rhythm that we see i'm drinking my water right now yeah there you go no worries we're good you can use it um but uh but afib is most common irregular heart rhythm that we see it's also a major cause of stroke so in the past, for people who don't feel AFib, they don't find out about AFib until they have a stroke. And the type of stroke that you have with atrial fibrillation is usually the worst kind. Oof, and so, yeah. and so, so now with things like, I've had probably, gosh, it must be 20 patients in the last year and a half that have come to me because their Apple Watch has suggested, hey, you need to look at this, this may be AFib. And patients can, can it's amazing, they, it's can, cr- yeah. they can screenshot it and send it to me on my phone. Um, they'll, they'll text it to me and we'll look at it and say, yeah, it looks like AFib. You know, let's get you in. We'll put a monitor on you. We'll do this scientifically. We'll then do the workup to see, you know, what the underlying 
underlying causes. And then we've got great technology now, though, to try to help deal with AFib, whereas used to, we really didn't have a whole lot. That's good technology, because I know I know the SpO2, mm-hmm. sometimes they'll show your oxygen saturation mm-hmm. in your blood. Uh, mine, mine, it varies, but when I go to the doctor's office, it always seems to be better. It's mm-hmm. like I actually go to the doctor's office, it looks worse on my watch. Like right now, uh, last night's sleep was 95%. Mm-hmm. I don't like that. For me, when it's usually when I go in the doctors, it's 99 or 98. So, but they could be off a little bit. So don't, don't make sure you still check with your cardiologist. Right. Right. But, but you yeah. know, at the end of the day, anything above 88 is good. Okay. Um, you know, my, my parents are kind of funny because they'll look at it and want to be like, well, hey, mine's 93. It's like, well, mine's 95. I know. And yeah, then well, it's getting very com- so much better. Exactly. Yeah. It gets so yeah. competitive, but, uh, yeah. but no, as long as generally, as long as above 90, 92, we're good. Okay, good. So that, that just, just want to, Put that in perspective. I want to make sure. So what happens if a, a, a stress test is mm-hmm. positive? Mm-hmm. We, we think a stress test, and they, they seem they're done in seconds now. I mean, the only worst part about a stress test is if you have a hairy chest. <laughs> right. I looked over at Kaylee. I didn't mean it. I'm, I'm saying it because, I, you know, <laughs> being a tech, you don't have a hair. I'm just saying for me. Right. And they tear that thing off. Yep. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. Do you have that problem, Axel? He's our producer. No, you don't. You're lucky. Yeah. You got, I can see you're, you're, you got you got nice olive skin like I do, but you but I got the hair you don't. And I say, good for you. But it, it's a it's a bummer. But and just in case you were wondering, I've got a pretty good man rug myself. Yeah, you there, got Bob. a man Thank rug. You. Yeah. Yes, that, that was popular in the 70s, Absolutely. By the way. Okay, there you go. <laughs> You'd have to show your chest. <laughs> right. Not anymore. Kaylee's like, heck no. You don't want to see a guy with chest hair. Okay. But when you look at this, and even generally, you know, a general uh, just once mm-hmm. a year, mm-hmm. you go in and you get your physical. Mm-hmm. You get that You get that test. So what happens with that when you go for, you know, not everybody gets a stress test. You sure. get one. I got one because I was worried about palpitations Absolutely. and I was running. But mm-hmm. the, it's very common now. Yeah. So, so generally speaking, when we assess somebody, generally speaking, it's it's going to be you know uh, symptoms uh, in terms of and, and insurance really wants you to have symptoms sure. or for preoperative evaluation, simply because general anesthesia and other anesthesias sure. will will increase any risk with from a cardiac standpoint. But general things, sh- chest pain, shortness of breath, fatigue, um, dizziness, those are kind of things that kind of pique my interest and make me say, well, maybe we should do a stress test to see if this is a blockage issue. Um, you do have a couple of options in terms of stress tests. You can do just the traditional treadmill where they look, where we look at the EKG. The reason why you don't hear about that as much simply is because the sensitivity and specificity is relatively low, okay. you know, 75% or so. When we add imaging onto that, we're able to increase that significantly. So um, the most common stress test is the nuclear stress test. And that's where um, we either have you do with exercise or with medication for people who can't walk on a treadmill. And the treadmill portion of it is not an endurance test. We're not trying to see how long you go. Okay. I say, please don't start training for this thing. <laughs> um, you know, we're not, you know, no one's going to care if right. you went long. All we're trying to do is get your heart rate up. Yeah, so that's we'll, true. And, I, and I've done one mm-hmm. right at your place, actually, at Southeastern Cardiology. And I remember they elevated like 45 right. degrees at one point. Mm-hmm. And then my heart rate was going up. And they said, mm-hmm. you're doing good, Mr. Jeswell. You're doing right. And then you get off and then they do, they do, I want to scan. Is it an, is it like a... Well, you I can't can, remember what it was. You, you, you can you can do an ultrasound. ultrasound. We look at we look at the squeezing of the heart, but the most common is the nuclear, where we give you the injection of the dye that lets us see where the blood is flowing That's in what the heart. You did. you did do yeah. that. Yeah, I had major palpitations mm-hmm. and I was running, but I, I have a thing where I think we talked about this before. If people get it done. You can almost find something wrong, but when you when I run and I get it to a certain level, mm-hmm. my heart rate gets about 150 or higher. Mm-hmm. And I'm doing a long distance runner. I'm really pushing it. Mm-hmm. It does a little. But we listen, and I kind of, I know when it happens, but I never get freaked out anymore right. because now I know what it is. Right. It was nothing to be concerned, but just right. to pay attention to it. Sure. It's never gotten any worse, better. It's the same. So mm-hmm. I, I've been doing this for years. So I, I th- that's what you want to go to cardiologist for. Peace of mind, mm-hmm. but let's make sure we don't have something that could be 
a widowmaker. Absolutely, because the one statistic in cardiology that really hasn't changed in 150 years is that 30% of people who have a heart attack never make it to the hospital. That's, yeah, so it's scary. So, you know, so, when you think about that, yeah. You know, and, yeah. and, you know, Banks Carroll, who was my former uh, uh, PCP, he wouldn't let me be 50 for longer than 12 hours before he's texting <laughs> me about getting a colonoscopy. And, and yet we don't do anything like that for cardiology. We really wait until you have symptoms. Good point. True. So, so, so preventative mm-hmm. is good. I mean, would an insurance oh. company in most cases, are they going to accept it? Are they going to say, yo, dude, you're fine. You don't have any problems. I know there's some certain tests you're not going to do. Mm-hmm. So insurance isn't going to say, well, why are we doing this? So he doesn't, he or she doesn't have this issue. Right. But for preventative, how mm-hmm. do we go about preventatively? Go, so so yeah. from a prevention standpoint, there, you know, we, we modify risk factors initially. If you're asymptomatic, you know, we want to make sure blood pressure is under good control. Let's get your cholesterol under good control. We can do a calculation to see what your 10-year cardiovascular risk is. And based on that, we then determine do you need to have your cholesterol at a lower level versus not um, there are certain scans there's a ct scan that's a specific calcium score um, where you go do a quick ct scan it's not generally expensive but it lets us see if there's any calcium around the blood vessels in the heart and if your calcium score is zero meaning you've got no calcium in the blood vessels right. it's got great negative predictive value yeah. anything above that kind of all bets are off sure um, I see a lot of patients who come in because they got a CT scan for some other reason and they found a lot of calcium around the vessels. In those cases, we oftentimes will do a stress test to see if there's any flow limitation. Sometimes that calcium is on the outside of the blood vessel where it really wouldn't be causing any problem. If it's on the inside of the blood vessel, then it may be causing a problem in terms of blood flow. Interesting. So if somebody comes in here, if you had a stress test, would you be able to see that? Or is it is this designed to see calcium inside it? it it's possibly? not designed to see calcium, but our stress test, like the nuclear stress test, mm-hmm. is really looking at flow. Okay, so, so you're so looking more flow, not correct. so much what would be inside. Them. And what, what we look for is we look for the blood flow when you're resting and then blood flow during exercise. And so the best analogy I can give is we take 185. Yeah. If, you, if you took 185 and took it down from four lanes to two lanes, Makes sense. Um, at two in the morning, under resting conditions, it's no problem. There are no cars on the road. There's no demand on it. So you're able Good to point. get wherever you want to go. If you did that at, at five o'clock in the afternoon on a Friday, people trying to get to the beach, well, that's when Google Maps starts turning red because you actually now have a real flow limitation. And so it. and so that's why uh, that's 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 what we're looking for. You'd like that analogy? Kaylee's nodding. She's looking good. And, uh, and that test has great negative predictive value as well. So if you've got a negative stress test, the likelihood of you having any meaningful blockage is pretty darn low. That's see, that's, that's something that's, that's a great way of looking at that. Cause so we, we, we talk about CTA scans, Mm -hmm. um, and that would be one, what does it stand for again? Cardiac catheterization or or, or something else? There's a specific, so now it, let's say you have a positive stress test or you have a indeterminate stress test. You actually now have two options. Okay. Um, Prior to 10 years ago, and when I was at Hopkins, you know, kind of my colleagues there were pioneering the CT angiogram. Okay, that's And it's essentially a gated angiogram that really is almost like a heart catheterization, but it's done with a CT scan. Okay. And so it allows us to actually look at the blood vessel uh, itself and and the dye as it goes through the blood vessel like we would with a heart catheterization, but with only a peripheral IV. Oh, okay. Now, we do not have that technology in Columbus here yet. Uh, my patients that have that done either go to Atlanta or Montgomery or to uh, like Piedmont Fayette um, has, that, has that machine. Uh, I'm hoping we'll get that soon here. Um, but if, 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 and that would be for more of a low risk kind of, in, you know, someone who maybe would be not maybe a traditional, you know, not many risk factors, but for some reason they had an equivocal stress test or they had an equivocal stress test and had uh, a lot of symptoms. So that would be something. Um, the next step, though, would be then the heart catheterization. And that's done. My colleagues do that, like Dr. Dara and Ibrahim and Moon. Um, and 
used to, you talked about people having it done through the leg and through the groin. Remember those days you'd hear that. Laying flat for four or five hours. Now I would say my partners are doing it 99% of the time through the wrist. So, Are you kidding? No, me? right through the radial artery where you check your pulse. And, uh, and so the IV goes kind of like an IV, but it goes right into the artery. Um, once you put that in, there's no more poking and prodding. Everything goes right through that. They send a long, thin tube up your arm. And even if you're awake, you wouldn't feel that, but you're usually sedated. It goes right to the edge of the heart. They puff a little bit of dye down your coronaries to see if there is a blockage. And if you have a blockage that's greater than 80% or more, then you would potentially need a stent. Wow. Um, and okay. they could deploy the stent right then, same through that, through that same, uh, uh, when you get finished, everything comes out. That's remarkable. You have a little contraption to hold pressure. But the beautiful thing about this is it removes two potential major complications that you could have through going from the leg, like bleeding into the back and things like okay. that, because that artery is right on top of a bone. So you, when you hold pressure on that, sure. you're getting good pressure. Um, but the beautiful thing here is, is when that happens, you're able to sit right up, eat, drink, watch TV. Uh, that kind of thing. Um, that, that technology is remarkable. It's amazing. If you if if people are looking at this, especially with um, and it, would that be under the guidelines of cardiac catheterization mm-hmm. or something like that? Mm-hmm. So you'd have that. So, um, if it's we were talking about positive, but if it's negative, mm-hmm. so we just walk away, we're free and clear, or what? Well, so so it depends on what the symptoms are. So okay. so generally speaking, you know, I'll I'll see a patient, they'll come in with chest pain. Really what piques my interest in particular is exertional chest pain. I walk a certain distance, I feel discomfort or pressure, I stop and rest and it gets better. That tends to be more consistent with blood flow limitation. So, um, but, you know, any chest pain concerns me, and there's a lot of mm-hmm. stuff in here. And in particular, I will tell you that if you are going to start looking for a GI cause or some other cause, no one's going to be very enthusiastic about putting you under sedation for that test without knowing that your heart is okay. Right. So generally speaking, um, you know, we will then go and if they've got a good negative stress test and it looks good, we generally say, hey, you know, let's do a non-cardiac workup. And oftentimes I'll do that in conjunction with their primary care doctor. I can tell you guys like us, nine times out of 10, sure. if it's if you have chest pain, it is GI related. And if it's not heart related, it's that's, GI related. That's scary. Okay, now this is interesting because now you're talking about this partnership and you already have a GI mm-hmm. Um, SGI is called or something locally. It's South, East, South East, Southeastern GI. I've spent literally eight years telling patients I don't do guts and butts, backs and cracks, <laughs> nerves and swerves, bones and groans. I told you, Kaylee, yeah. it's coming. Pa- oh, pa- it's coming. Pa- pa- <laughs> patients are always asking for other advice. And I say, but, but, but now I can say I don't do guts and butts, but I got a guy that does. So Dr. Schoenborn has actually joined our group. And, uh, and he's a and GI he's, guy. He's a GI guy. Exactly. Guy, yeah, and yeah. not only that, we also have a pediatric GI gentleman as well. Wow, you don't um, see that. No, no and he, kids he, too. And he's okay. outstanding. So, Great. so would highly recommend um, uh, either one of them. Dr. Schoenborn actually did my colonoscopy, and um, I'm not bragging, but yeah. I, had, I had a beautiful colon. You lucky duck. I had some. Won an award. I always get a polyp in a descending colon area, mm-hmm. but it, it is in different areas each time. Mm-hmm. So small, but but it's good. I always get one, right? And, and it's like every five years I go, and then you clean yourself out. I love going to cleaning out. A lot of people don't like that. I know that's, doesn't that sound weird? I like it because I feel lighter. It's going back to the fluid retention thing. You, you're kind of... Are you trying it, to guide this conversation back to the bidet discussion? But bidet, where somehow always get back to that. You're correct, Amundo. <laughs> oh, yes. Because something about cleaning it in mm-hmm. the peri, uh, you know, anal area, let's let's keep it clean. Absolutely. You know, why wouldn't we have that? Why would we use... 
toilet paper. And TP. I cannot, I cannot Nobody imagine. Nobody watches TP. It's dirty. I cannot imagine why Teresa doesn't like watching I know she podcast. doesn't. I don't know why. Now you know why. No, she'd be embarrassed. <laughs> I, we try to show her these little bits and pieces, but she, she just won't, she won't jump on board, so right. to speak. I understand. I understand. <laughs> have you been to Europe? They have them over there. Bidets all I over the place. I was supposed to go to Europe my sophomore year, and then COVID happened. Oh. oh she missed out. Right. Yep. Teresa went to, we went to Stockholm, Sweden mm-hmm. one summer, right after 9-11, and she saw the bidet, and she was like, look, and she thought it was a, a thing to wash your hands in. <laughs> so, sit over here for a second. So what do you mean? Sit right here. <laughs> oh, I'm so bad. But but the GI connection, mm-hmm. absolutely. this is what's so cool, guys, because I'm just thinking, because all of a sudden, now I understand, when you say 9 out of 10, I'm going to go back to I know mm-hmm. people listening are probably like, go back to that, go back to that, because I, I think... That's crazy when you think about that. Chest pain in a lot of guys, a lot of times it's GI related. Absolutely. So if you think about it, your heart is the size of your fist. It's positioned here. It actually sits almost on top of the diaphragm. What's under the diaphragm? Your stomach. Stomach. And especially if you have a hiatal hernia, which a lot of people do. Okay. That's where the stomach kind of comes up above the diaphragm, and it's actually sitting right next to the heart. Ooh. That is going to be more prone to gastritis. It's going to be more prone to more prone to have ulcers, that type of thing. That causes pain. Jeez, I wonder if- I'm making it about me now. I right. see how I just did this. I had that pancreatic, uh, mm-hmm. you know, attack kind of thing not right. long ago. But it's interesting. We we never taught my GI guy. We didn't get into that. But because but but we would know. I mean, he sure. of course my situation. I had COVID. I'll let people know. I don't care. I had COVID. Mm-hmm. I took Paxlovid. Mm-hmm. I took prednisone, and it seemed like that over abundance of all that seemed like it caused some gas. It caused caused a gastritis. Well, it, ster- it, steroids facilitate gastritis. A lot yeah. of NSAIDs do the same thing yeah. as well. So yeah. people who are on Mobic or, or even yeah. Aleve or, or ibuprofen, high doses, long period of time, that can affect the lining yeah. of the stomach. Uh, H. pylori is actually a bacterial infection that can cause stomach. Mm-hmm. And then the other part of it, though, is your esophagus, which goes from your mouth to your stomach, yeah. it actually touches the back of the heart. And so, that's why. And, that so makes and, sense. and so what that can makes happen sense, yeah. then is um, you can have stomach acid that comes up the esophagus. And in some cases, the esophagus, some people, the acid comes on up and they taste it. Right. But in some cases, the esophagus feels that acid. And as a protective response, it will actually spasm. Yes. And so when it spasms, it can lay you down and it feels deep in the chest. It feels like it's your heart. And the only other thing in general that nitroglycerin will help other than true cardiac angina is esophageal spasm. Are you kidding no. me? And so that's why you hear patients that say, I can't believe I don't have a blockage because I took Nina's or Pawpaw's uh, nitroglycerin, which they shouldn't be doing anyway. Right. But I took it and don't it got better. That. And yep. it got better. And so what I generally recommend is I recommend that people have a bottle of Maalox or Mylanta or Gaviscon, the liquid. Keep it in your refrigerator, bottom shelf between the cocktail sauce and the tartar sauce. I mean, you love that he said stuff, it. Yeah. Stuff you don't right. use very often. Yeah. Leave it there. Okay. Mint or cherry flavor. Um, and leave, when it's cream now, and leave, it's like a cream flavor. Yeah, they got a caramel gross. cream. Yeah, I can't right. imagine Hello. anything yeah. worse or tiramisu. Yeah, come on. But um, but no, you leave it yeah. there. And you know, my parents came in town for the Auburn Georgia game a few years ago. My yeah. dad started having a little chest discomfort. Mom, mom starts flipping out. Which hospital are we going to go to? I said, I said, you are not going to ruin this weekend. Yes, you're not. You're getting you are not ruining. You're getting Maalox. I gave him the Gaviscon, <laughs> and boom, within about a minute, it was gone because it's cold and it's liquid. It will coat the esophagus and the stomach, so it will work infinitely faster than Tums or anything else. That's like that. fantastic. So that's for acute. Acute, that, yeah, that's acute. And it's the yeah, liquid, yeah. Tums, those are for acute. Now the other pills, because some people get this misconception, again, I don't do guts and butts, but I know a lot about yeah, it. You do. Um, but there seems, there's a connection mm-hmm. here. Though. Oh, absolutely. Well, it is, because it's, mm-hmm. it's so close to the heart. Right. It's interesting how cardiologists, 
I, I assume, obviously, when you're a doctor, you go to med school, you mm-hmm. got to get the whole the whole scheme, and you just decide what you want to specialize in. You specialize in this, but the, the, this is why you're getting the GI yeah, partnership. Absolutely. This is making a lot of sense. And uh, and the other thing, too, though, is things like omeprazole or, or Prilosec, yeah. other agents that, uh, that we've kind of forgotten about a lot, the, the, the H2 blockers like Pepsid, Zantac, mm-hmm. Ta- that's off the market, but Tagamet. Right. Sure. Those generics are over-the-counter. Sure. You, can, you can get 200 tablets of famotidine at Sam's Club. They don't pay me to tell you that. I right. wish they would. Yeah, I know. But yeah. you can get 200 tablets of, of Pepsi or famotidine at uh, Sam's Club for, for like $8. Wow. And, um, and, and there, that has almost no baggage. So you can take two of those a day, twice a day if you need to. So if my stomach acid starts acting up, usually around tax time, yeah. um, I will go. I'll start. Pe- <laughs> Are I'll you st- telling us something? Exactly. Well, I'll, start, I'll start Pepsi for, for a couple of weeks and then boom, yeah. it knocks it out. Gotcha. But that's going to be more for hel- helping you tomorrow and the next day. I, I'm, I'm listening to it, which is good. Don't, so in other words, don't just like double down mm-hmm. and I'm going to go ahead and eat chips and get drunker and a skunk or tailgating or doing all this. Mm-hmm. But if you prepare ahead of time, mm-hmm. that, may, that may help coat and, and get be a better result the next day. Well, and I also like the fact, too, that if you've got that as kind of a branch point. So let's just say, for argument's mm-hmm. sake, you had a negative stress test. Now, you can have a negative stress test and still have a heart attack. You know, if you remember, I don't even remember mm-hmm. Tim Russert, who was a sure moderator. Sure, Buffalo, New York. There yeah, you he's go. a phenomenal guy. So I loved he, him. he had yeah. actually had a negative uh, cardiac workup prior to having a massive heart attack. And, and and part of that was because, you know, some, even a very small percentage of heart attacks are caused by lesions that no stress test or even a heart catheterization would pick up. Wow. And so, and so you have that ruptured plaque. So I tell people, even though I'm telling your heart's like a teenager, if you have crushing chest pain, you got to come in and be seen. Yeah. Regardless, don't, don't assume that exactly. you have to take the Correct. So we want people to understand it today too. I Correct. mean, but first, if, if anyone has any kind of pain, um, I didn't know when I had it, but mine was gastritis mm-hmm. that I was telling and exactly what you described it. It almost sounds like when you said it was like a spasm, mm-hmm. I guess that's the way it was. Cause it was, it would go. And when it did that, I was buckled over. Did it make that sound? It, it kind of did. Okay. No, wait, no, but it was making a sound somewhere else. It was <laughs> I got later, you. and yes. so it was clearly a lot of a lot of gas. It right. had a lot to do with, but it kept doing that that throbbing, mm-hmm. pulsing, mm-hmm. horrible, deep pain mm-hmm. that was enough that you know we had to go ahead and take take uh, an aspirin. Sure. Thinking, oh my god, am I having a heart attack? But you're saying again, um, you know, get get some somebody on the horn right. and make sure you take care of it. But but you know enough as a doc that you know dad was over. You got a good and he had a good work. He had a good workup recently and everything. And so you knew. So just so people know, get the workup. Right. If you have all that, you know what it is. <clears throat> but it is good to know. But being highly educated mm-hmm. in this is going to make the difference. It really does. It makes you. It makes you not panic, and right. and but but there are things you could do in acute situations in so, those cases. So just like you want people to be weather aware, yeah, I want people to be cardiac aware. I love it. Perfect, perfect segue. It's a match made in heaven. You know it. I love it, and that segue will get us into now neural causes. Mm-hmm. I mean, who would ever think? We we've talked about physical. We right. talked about over you know fluid overdose. Mm-hmm. I call it right. like a fluid overload. But but with that, what about neural causes? So certainly you know the other things that we see a lot of are things like neck arthritis. So you can have a pinched nerve in the neck, and that in particular. So when people start feeling numbness down an arm, sure, whether it's the right arm or the left <laughs> arm, usually it's traditionally the left arm. Right um, here but, we go. But, Not but, a heart attack, but but, but you but you can have it down both arms. Generally speaking, if I think about numbness or or, or issues that are going down both arms, that's usually going to be cervical neck issues. Issues, yeah, pinched nerves, arthritis, that kind of thing. That makes sense. So could that, and this is interesting too, could maybe a case that we can't figure out mm-hmm. on somebody mm-hmm. could have this stenosis, we'll sure. call it, of some sort that's creating this in a mm-hmm. C, C4, 5, and 6 maybe or whatever. Sure. And a lot of people get these full disectomies. They'll mm-hmm. do all that, I, I'm, you know, but, but for somebody who doesn't know, it doesn't mean that that numbness or you can't pick up a bottle, your hand gets weak, mm-hmm. that numbness feeling. It would have to be to that degree. Do you think that would 
would precipitate something bad when it would come to your to cardio events or anything? Not or necessarily. Just... I'll tell you, it's pretty amazing. You know, you can have people that just have mild symptoms that happen every so often. You know, I sure. think it can be where you where you where you kind of feel it every so often, that kind of thing. Um, but again, you know, the that all of that, and then lastly is stress. Yeah, you know, right? Because stress, yeah. stress, anxiety, panic attack, that can mm-hmm. cause chest pain, shortness of breath. But now that is obviously the diagnosis of exclusion. Sure. You know, you have to do the full workup, make sure nothing else is you going. You guys got to do a lot here. So you oh, got to really, you're, mm-hmm. you're breaking this down. I mean, from anxiety, even somebody having that could sure. do that. Absolutely. Stress. But generally speaking, we go through the common things being common. We look for those things. Um, but I've had patients, you know, even though, even though the, a negative stress test generally has great negative predictive value, you can have a you can have a false false negative stress test. They're very rare. So what I tell people is, you know, hey, low likelihood of you having a significant blockage. Why don't you go do a a a, um, a uh, especially if it's a typical kind of pain, go do a, 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 a non cardiac workup. If they tell you that you've got the cleanest GI system they've ever seen, if they tell you that your neck looks spotless and you're still having issues, come back. Then we can talk about maybe doing something more invasive to then determine. Well, maybe we had a pos- a, a false negative stress test. On the neck, mm-hmm. if there is something pinching, mm-hmm. or even a lower lumbar, could mm-hmm. that have something? Because I'm not too familiar with the lower lumbar. What would mm-hmm. that? What part of the body would that be? More lower extremity, that'd be, obviously. That, that'd be more lower extremity, like extremity, sciatica, sciatica kind of feelings, like and that, that kind yeah. of thing. Gotcha. But we're talking more right, literally mm-hmm. right here. So, so, so I ask patients: Have you ever had whiplash? Have you ever had a neck injury? You know, did you play football? Did, mm-hmm. You know, we see a lot of we see a lot of former you know army army guys that that jumped out of planes, yeah. and did the tuck and roll, and, sure. and ended up having neck arthritis as a result of that. Um, and so, you know, it's not uncommon for us to see that. What kind of problems were resolved in that? If you've got a, uh, some kind of pinching mm-hmm. or injury, you what can, would you typically see in that case? You, what? Can, you can actually see chest discomfort. Okay. It tends not to be exertional. It tends to kind of come on kind of almost on its own. I think you even told me at one time, too, you feel that tightness in the mm-hmm. chest. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so, and so that, certainly can, that certainly can happen. Numbness down the arm. Sure. Um, numbness here, that type of thing. So not necessarily cardiac related. Mm-hmm. Right. But see your cardiologist anyway to double check. To Absolutely. figure this stuff out, then you may say you need to go to a neurosurgeon, or, sure. or maybe not. Right, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Then there's then there's certainly something called uh, there's musculoskeletal. Yeah, muscle skeletal is interesting. Mm-hmm. You, you mentioned this earlier. So what what is muscle skeletal? So there's a about? there's a condition that's that's called Tietze syndrome, which is named after Tietze, who also was the physician that came up with the Tietze fly. Sure, and, right. Uh, and and uh, and that, that type of thing. Well, if, you know, if you've ever eaten ribs, you've got the bony part of the rib, and then there's a large muscle and cartilage sure. section that's there. Well, that's kind of like here in the chest. Ooh, so yes, you've actually got see. a fair amount of meat, if you will, that's in between the sternum and the rib that can get inflamed. Ooh, and so, that. so that, and sometimes that inflammation can be incredibly, yeah. it can be incredibly painful. Oh. And, uh, generally speaking though, when that happens, you can feel it when you press. Oh, wow. So if you feel it, so generally speaking, traditional cardiac pain doesn't hurt when you press. Okay. Um, and so we, in general, with those things, we do things like, uh, anti-inflammatories for a few weeks to see if it will calm sure. it down. Topical anesthetics, topical lidocaine, things like okay. that. Uh, and then you also have other cardiac causes of chest discomfort that aren't blood flow related, but you could get pericarditis, wow. you know, especially with COVID. Wow. We've got wow. a yeah, lot yeah, of patients yeah. that and have that pericarditis. Was my, that's the way I wanted to end mm-hmm. this today is to go into the most recent, mm-hmm. um, you hear the commercials, there's a lot of confusion mm-hmm. on that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, recently I just heard a, pu- I will call it a public service announcement for when it was a health, a local health district. And it says, if you've had, if you have recently had COVID and you didn't have really bad symptoms and have not been vaccinated, that might be fine. But the next time you get it, you may encounter a worse symptom or something that could end up in a hospital or even 
uh, organ inflammation mm-hmm. that can lead to something that can be life threatening. You need to get your now, and I and I'm, I'm not poking fun at people. That's fine. I mean, sure. but when you hear that, it scares the. You actually got a pretty good dire voice. I like that. It's because of the microphone here. I, I, I like really that. Take it. So when that happened, when you hear that, that scares me, mm-hmm. and it makes me wonder. You know, I want to be proactive and make sure. You know, COVID's not going to take me down. I told I told you I took the Paxlovid. Sure. And uh, whether that did have any effect mm-hmm. on that gastritis thing, or we think the gastritis is more related to the, obviously, you use the prednisone mm-hmm. would do more of a, a stomach lining thing, but we don't know much about Paxlovid yet, although sure. it did make me feel good. I'll be okay. honest with you. Gotcha. Uh, second dose, I was like, whoa, I'm ready to rock and roll. Okay. But I had a little falling out, like I say, day four or five, because Bob went back to his normal everyday routine, and then I was like, <laughs> I felt that. I hit like a, hit a wall. But it went bad enough. It didn't take me out of work or anything like that. Mm-hmm. But going back to that, though, when you hear that announcement, and we hear about organ damage from COVID. What do we know up to this point as of August 2022? So, 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 so we do see a lot of more cardiovascular, cardiopulmonary hematologic issues post-COVID. So especially kind of the long-haul syndrome and things like that. Um, a couple of my colleagues have found uh, certain things that you can see on a cardiopulmonary test. And we've got that at our office that we can do. Um, we see a lot of autonomic dysfunction. So remember, the heart is innervated and it's mm-hmm. got nerves that speed up and slow down. And it's got a gas pedal and a brake pedal. And sometimes those don't behave appropriately. So you hear you have people who have palpitations. You have people that have their heart racing. That You can have uh, problems with uh, having your blood pressure drop when you stand up, those types of things. Um, you can have blood clots to the lungs, pulmonary embolism. That certainly can happen. You can get not only a pericardial effusion, which is fluid around the heart. Mm-hmm. Um, you can also have pericardi- pericarditis, um, which is inflammation around the heart. And uh, that's primarily you'd notice if someone complains of pericarditis, there are certain EKG findings that we can have with that. But kind of the classic report from a patient that has real pericarditis is, if I lay back, it really hurts. And the only position that I can get in where it doesn't hurt is leaning slightly forward. Okay, so that makes sense. Okay, mm-hmm. so that's what you would be able to do it, and that's the, the, the one of the telltale signs. Mm-hmm. Got to get some treatment right, right. away. Uh, and I don't want to delve out of the heart area, but have you heard it with any other organs, too, that could affect, give you a false sense of what's not necessarily the heart, but this inflammation in the mm-hmm. gut or something mm-hmm. could pose a, another symptom of a heart-related issue, and it has nothing yeah, to do I mean, with it. Certainly there are case reports that involve almost every organ system, you know, yeah. brain, you know, you, you heard it. about the COVID brain. Right. And, and I and I have to say, I think mm-hmm. either that, it's age. I don't know what the right. hell it is, but I, I've been experiencing that lately. And I don't, you know, I, I, I say it to my wife. She goes, oh, stop it. It's your age. You always say, but, but truly, mm-hmm. I, there's some days I'm like, what in the heck was I going to do? What was right. I going to say? And I never, you know, 57, it shouldn't be happening to me yet, sure. should it? I mean, it could, but, you know. You ever, you ever had a lack of uh, something to say, though? That's true. That's true. And I almost didn't have something to say when you just said that. But I could say this. <laughs> All right. <laughs> could say this. I've never lost for words. That's for sure. Exactly. <laughs> but I can I could take omega three fatty acids that's supposed mm-hmm. to help clear out the But you're right though. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, and I, I just uh but but it's good to know. See your doc. Right. Make sure that these symptoms, even though you think you know what they may be, they could always be. And I think what I want to get at today, too, is that people shouldn't be fearful. You see a lot of people, mm-hmm. I'm not going to go because I don't need to go. I don't want to hear about anything bad news. There's mm-hmm. a lot of people like that, fearful sure. to get the colonoscopies, sure. fearful to, to go to their to their urologist to, mm-hmm. to, you know, to get the uh, my 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 father, late father in law, would call it the finger wave. Right, you know, sure. And, and I know if Kaylee doesn't know what I'm talking. I'm talking. Yeah, I think you understand what I'm talking about. Bend over, and let's see how your prostate is. Sure. A lot of guys are f- fearful of that, or shameful, or whatever. No, yeah. because it could save your life. Absolutely. So do it. Absolutely. Yeah. I'll tell you one quick story. Yeah. I had a patient that came to see me at Hopkins. He was a ultra marathon runner. This is a guy that runs 75 miles at a time. Mm. 
he comes in, and I'm a, I'm just a fellow. He doesn't right. know he, he doesn't know me from Adam. But he comes in, he says uh, he says, listen, he said I've been to Mayo Clinic, I've been to Harvard. If you tell me there's nothing wrong with me, then I'll I'm, I'm going to shut up about it. But he says I'm hitting the wall when I hit mile 55. Yeah, no, how many people run 55? Well, exactly. Miles? So so right. I said I said, well, what did what did the test show at at Mayo and Harvard? He said uh, he said well, they didn't do any. They said if I could ride in 55 miles, then I've got nothing wrong with me. So we put this guy on a treadmill, and everyone hated me for this because this guy went longer than him. He looked like Dolph Lundgren in, in, in <laughs> hey, Rocky yes, Four. Rocky with Four, his, yes. He was up. I got him some hand weights. We were trying to do this. And long story short, you know, he finally did it. And they were like, can we call this thing already? And I said, no, I want to go until he feels what he feels. Yeah. Good for you. He, he, said, he finally said, yep, that's it. We look at his EKG. All of his STs went down. So that was about noon. By 2 o'clock, we had him in the cath lab. By 4 o'clock, he was getting bypass surgery. He had, you know, you hear about the Widowmaker? Wow. This and is, this, we've, yes. This is worse than the Widowmaker. This is the left main. So oh, he had to have an wow. emergency bypass surgery for that. He had a 98, 99% blockage. But the, but the thing is, is he was so well-conditioned. That masked that, the problem. That, it ma- that essentially masked Holy the problem. And so, wow. and so that's why I tell people, trust your body. Listen, you know, the, the, you know the, at the end of the day, if something is different from what, you know, if you say, look, I know something's going on, it may not be your heart, but, but let's at least look. Yeah. Let's at least look to see if that's what's going on. And, uh, and so that's, that's why I think it's important. Well, he, it's like, it's good that he did put his body through that. No, absolutely. If he was a sedentary guy, we may never have known oh. that. He wouldn't be here. We wouldn't be talking about him in this way. You know, we talk about exercise all the time, and I yeah. wish Joanne was here, but... Uh, but, but yeah, know, Joanne uh, would... That's why Joanne was really missing us I today. know, but, but, with, but, but like with exercise, the patients mm-hmm. that I have that do the best are ones who have a regular exercise routine where they can tell me, I normally walk three, three miles in a day. Well, if they come in and say, you know, I'm starting to have to stop and rest at, at, at two and three quarter miles. Yes. Those are the patients that have the best outcomes. If you wait around, if you just sit on your duff all day long and, you, <laughs> and you're waiting until you get chest pain going from the sofa to the kitchen, it's pretty far gone. When he hit the wall, what was that symptom? He, you know, he just, he's, he's kind of like, you know, and he still pushed through it. Yeah. But yeah. he's just, he's just kind of like, I, I, he says, I just feel like I, I feel like I'm kind of running in mud is, was kind of his, was kind of his, it was okay. kind of his. Oh, wow, uh, that's interesting. His, like his, so mm-hmm. any athlete out there right now listening, mm-hmm. um, take, Take this to heart. Right. Uh-huh. That's, that's what a great way to end it, too. Absolutely. And speaking about taking it to heart, uh, Dr. Hunter Champion, we always have you back on. He'll be back again. You could check out previous episodes with Dr. Hunter Champion with us. Uh, Kaylee, you could do the same when you're just going back to school, whatever you're doing. And we would love for you to come back again because we're going to pick up another conversation with you. I'd love to if you'd have me. You always will. Definitely. You are amazing. This guy can give it to you straight, and I love it. Love the connection with the GI, though. That, I thought that was pretty cool this week on uh, Bob Jess. Oswald Show, where you could catch Dr. Hunter Champion, look at Kaylee, and uh, we didn't even show our wonderful uh, producer here, that is Axel Balzar. He says, don't worry about me. <laughs> I call him Axel Rose. Is that I okay? I love it. Absolutely. Welcome to Axel. the jungle. I got names. I said, welcome to the jungle, and we're here with that right here at Spotify, Apple, and iHeart. You could catch it there wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, visual podcast at WRBL.com. Uh, on social media, you're going to see it here. I'll have a connection there, and at the bottom, we will connect you with Dr. Champion, his work. And everything you need to know as he works at Southeastern Cardiology and other work that he does as well at Facebook and Instagram. Thanks a lot for coming here. Dr. Champion, champion as always. Thank you as always, Bob. There you go. Appreciate you. Yes. And thank you, Kevin. Yeah. Good.